Welcome to the I'm Still Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Whitlow. I've been reading and studying the Bible my entire life, but I still have a lot of questions, and I'm still learning what it means. Each episode, we will take a look at what the Bible has to say and what it means to us today. Did you know that God cares for people we don't like? Just because we make someone our enemy, it doesn't make them God's enemy. God is more interested in reconciliation than retribution. I'm calling episode 63, Seven Bips and You're Clean. This story of Naaman, who was a commander of the Aramean army, and how God healed him of his leprosy, is found in 2 Kings chapter 7. I'll start reading at verse 1. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Now, Naaman was very important as the commander of the Aramean army. He was an effective warrior, and that gave the king of Aram great political power. That power meant that many times, just the threat of an invasion was enough to force many other kings to capitulate to his demands. And this leprosy would be a hindrance that could keep Naaman from being as useful to the king as he would be if he were healthy. Okay, verse 2. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Now, here's the picture. A young girl had been stolen from her family, and today we would say that she had been trafficked to another country. Although we do not know her name, to me, she is a hero in this story. Here's what we can tell about her. She had a great sense of self. It is obvious that her parents had spoken well of Elisha in her presence. She spoke of the prophet and expected that he represented the power of God. And she spoke it in a land that was foreign to her. Although she was in a difficult situation having been stolen from her home and forced into domestic servitude in the home of the commander who led the army force that took her, she cared for Naaman as a fellow human who had contracted a dreaded disease. She didn't keep her mouth shut, hoping that Naaman would die of this disease. Instead, she spoke of the prophet of God who could help him. Parents, be careful how you talk about leaders around your children. They are listening, and giving them a strong foundation of the Bible stories and lessons early in their development is so important. Her parents would not have known that she would be taken from them at such an early age, and that their ability to instruct her would be so short. But they had done well with the time they had. She had a sense of who she was, even though she was in a bad situation, her words made it all the way to the throne room of the king. I'll continue at verse 4. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. 
Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. Now, I wouldn't give any credit to the king of Aram for having faith that Elisha could bring about this healing. The king respected Naaman and wanted him to be healed. He may or may not have thought that this little girl's tale of a prophet who could heal was legit. But what did he have to lose? Maybe it would work and he'd get his best general back. Or at worst, it would make the king of Israel look bad and give him an excuse to continue to harass him. You know, political battles are nothing new. Political people make political decisions, not faith decisions. And the issue that is presented to the public is rarely the reason for the dispute. In politics, it's all about one-upping your opponent. Okay, verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. You know, you got to love Elisha. He comes across as fearless and someone who doesn't suffer fools gladly. He doesn't give a rip. He says to the king of Israel, hey, stop freaking out. You see this as a political problem, but I see it as an opportunity to show that God still has people in Israel who trust him and that his power is not diminished. We can turn from God and we can deny his power and his wisdom, but our turning away in no way reduces God's power, his presence, and his wisdom. Verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. You know, Naaman had an expectation of what was going to happen. He was an important person, and important people expect to be treated differently than ordinary people. You know, Naaman arrives at Elisha's house with his entourage of soldiers, chariots, horses bearing silver and gold, and a letter from the king of Aram. It was obvious that he wasn't just some ordinary goob who was looking for something. He expected that the prophet would come out and treat him with the respect he deserved. Probably he would wear some ornate robes, and he would recite some fancy and mysterious words. Then, with a wave of his hands, behold, 
a miracle befitting someone of his position and importance. Instead, the prophet didn't even come outside. He sent a common messenger to say, "Uh, Yeah, go to the Jordan River and wash seven times. That'll do it. And with that perceived disrespect, he stormed off. Verse 13. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, Go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. You know, sometimes we miss out on our miracles because they seem too ordinary. Naaman's result was exceptional, but the process to get to his miracle looked like nothing. The Jordan is not a pretty river. It's not clear and it's not majestic. It's about like most of our Oklahoma rivers. Slow moving, muddy, shallow much of the time. It just seemed too ordinary. The task was much too simple for an important man like Naaman. He wanted a heroic quest that could become a story for historians to celebrate for centuries. Instead, his order was to go take a bath in the nearest river, and an ugly river at that. We experience miracles daily that we never think of. We get cut and we heal. We get sick and then we get over it. We get well. We exercise, and we get more energy. We eat better, and we get healthier. Ordinary habits over time deliver great results. And God is not typically looking to send us on some heroic quest. He is looking for simple, daily obedience. Our answers and our miracles can usually be found near to us. Verse 15, Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. I think Elisha wanted to make sure that Naaman realized that his miracle happened because God is powerful and God is good. Naaman followed God's simple instructions and received his healing. So for Elisha to receive a gift for being used by God to heal Naaman would have given Naaman the idea that he had paid for his healing. Now, was there anything wrong with Naaman offering a gift out of his gratitude? No, absolutely not. Was there anything wrong with Elisha receiving a gift from someone who was grateful? No. But the timing was wrong. Naaman didn't know anything about God before this encounter. He was coming with the expectation that a God of great power would expect a great payment. But that's not who God is. And Elisha wanted Naaman to understand that God had rewarded Naaman's humble obedience not his ability to write a big check. And even though Naaman led an enemy army, 
God loved him as someone who was created in God's image. As I am fond of saying, God is more interested in reconciliation than retribution. Verse 17. Then Naaman said, All right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place, and I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other god except the Lord. However, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master the king goes into the temple of the god Rimmon to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow too. Go in peace, Elisha said. So Naaman started home again. Naaman was new to all of this. He placed importance on place and asked to take some dirt to make an altar at home and promised to only worship God after this. He believed in God, but he didn't know yet just how to live it. His heart was right, but it was all new. But he also was expected to accompany the king to the temple of Rimmon and bow with him. He knew that this was a problem. He had been changed. His heart was tender, and it was in the right place, but he had a situation. And I appreciate that Elisha didn't put requirements on him right off the bat that might have caused him to get discouraged and give up. You know, we should show grace to new converts as they figure things out and allow God to do his perfect work in their hearts. As they grow in their relationship, they can continually work to figure things out. Verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master should not have let this Aramean get away without accepting any of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. So Gehazi set off after Naaman. When Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he climbed down from his chariot and went to meet him. Is everything all right? Naaman asked. Yes, Gehazi said. But my master has sent me to tell you that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim have just arrived. He would like 75 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing to give to them. Oh, by all means, take twice as much silver, Naaman insisted. He gave him two sets of clothing, tied up the money in two bags, and sent two of his servants to carry the gifts for Gehazi. But when they arrived at the citadel, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants and sent the men back. Then he went and hid the gifts inside the house. When he went into his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? I haven't been anywhere, he replied. But Elisha asked him, Don't you realize that I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to receive money and clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and cattle, and male and female servants? Because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. When Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy, his skin was white as snow. What should have been a great testimony of God's power and love for all mankind got compromised by a greedy servant. Gehazi saw all that Naaman, who was an enemy of Israel no less, and wealthy to boot, 
had brought to pay for his healing, and it made him mad to see him leave with all of it. So he concocted a story about some poor Bible school students who needed some help. He hated to see someone he didn't like get something from God and it not cost him anything, especially when he was from the other side. Oh, we all have to watch our hearts in this every day because there is a spirit of Gehazi in all of us. When we vilify our enemies or make enemies of people who merely hold a different point of view, then we become just like Gehazi and add barriers to them receiving God's grace, which is intended for all. Just because someone is our enemy doesn't make them God's enemy. But Elisha was a true prophet of God. Very little escaped Elisha's attention. And Gehazi was punished for his greed, but mostly for endangering the new relationship that Naaman had with God. Later, Jesus would warn his disciples against this kind of greed and dishonesty in the name of ministry. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6 says, But if you cause one of these little ones, he's talking about children and new believers, but if you cause any of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. So what are the takeaways from this story? Well, I believe that it tells us that God loves and cares about the needs of people we don't like. So don't fight it. Embrace it. Love the God that loves us all. God's forgiveness and deliverance is close by, and it's available to all who will receive it. And we cannot add a price to something that God has offered for free without damaging ourselves. Next, our responsibilities to God grow as our relationship with Him grows. So we should show grace to the new believer and encourage their growth. And in these Old Testament stories, we always need to find Jesus in there. Where is Jesus in this story? Well, I would say Jesus is the Jordan River. He is the living water. Naaman came to the river with his disease. He stepped into the river in obedience to the word of God, and he walked out free of his disease, just like salvation. The Holy Spirit calls us to Jesus with all of our sin and shame, and when we come to Jesus, we are made clean, no matter who we are. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the I'm Still Learning podcast. If you find this podcast interesting, won't you please share it with a friend? Also, let me know what you think. Find me on Facebook or Instagram under my name, Randy Whitlow, or send an email to rbwhitlow at me.com. Until next week, I'm Randy Whitlow, and I'm still learning.